0: Well, today, uh, we are going to continue looking at some uh, key questions that we have about the end of this age. That's the the sermon series. That's what we've been kind of getting into here. And uh, last week, we looked big picture. So end of the beginning is is big picture. We're talking about the end of the world as we know it, Jesus' return. Um, We saw kind of the timeline a bit. We, We planned it out last week. But today, I thought we would look at kind of a smaller end that we all experience before the big end arrives. So the smaller end that I'm talking about is something that may not, certainly doesn't seem small in the moment, and that is death. Death. Uh, Here's our our big question for today. Uh, What happens when we die uh, before the end? What happens when we die before the end? The end is coming. We're going to keep talking more and more about that every week, but, but right now there is still the end of our life, and so... The question that many people ask inside and outside the church is what happens when we die before the end? Um, This is something that brings a lot of fear and certainly a lot of mystery when it comes to uh, humanity as a whole, If you think about what is the question that people want an answer to, it's probably what is going to happen when I die? And for most people, it's just a lot of mystery around that. So it tends to be a subject that we don't really talk about. In fact, most of the time, the comfort that we get when it comes to death, uh, I would say these days is is more of a feeling of comfort rather than actual comfort. Uh, The feeling of just, you know, sort of warm, encouraging words at the the time of death rather than actually a a reason for having comfort in death. Uh, Let me give you a couple examples of of why uh, I think this is so or how I've seen this in our world. Uh, One comes from uh, a show that Don and I have been watching called Anne with an E. It's the Anna Green Gables uh, reboot. I'm sure many of you are into it because it's fantastic. Um, But one of the episodes that we saw recently, uh, there was one of the characters that was dying. Uh, It was a tragic situation. Young mother, um, young wife and mother uh, loved in the community and and she's dying. And everyone in the community knows it. And so there's one episode in particular that was kind of devoted to this and everyone coming to grips with it. and so what they decided to do in the show is they decided to have an Easter party because this character loved Easter. And so this is a beautiful scene in this garden where all the friends and family gather together. They surround her. Um, it's, you know, just a beautiful and heartwarming scene. And the climax of the scene, all the characters sing a hymn uh, to the woman who is dying. And the, wh- the hymn that they sing is, It Is Well With My Soul. And so I'm going to read to you. If you don't know that hymn, this is what they sing. This is the first verse. They say, "When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul." So it really is a beautiful hymn uh, that's just packed with a lot of meaning. Uh, the, the, the meaning of it really is that you believe there is a God who is. Taught you to to trust him in all circumstances. It's very hopeful and heartwarming, and it really works uh, quite well in terms of the dramatic climax of the scene because they come around her, she's encouraged. But the thing that bothered me about it uh, is that even though they were singing this hymn about God, uh, God was not mentioned in the entire episode. In fact, no part of the gospel, no part of Jesus. There was scene after scene of characters coming to, to this woman who's dying to sort of comfort her and deal with it and grapple with it. No one ever asked her, do you know where you're going when you die? No one ever spoke to her about the hope that, that she should have in Jesus. I mean, everyone in this community goes to church on a Sunday. It bugged me, but it wasn't surprising. Because, because we know that this is a secular show written by people and produced by people who, who probably have uh, no biblical convictions. But if that's the case, I kind of got to wondering, you know, why would you include that hymn at all? Like, why would that be your source of comfort? And I think the reason is because our culture wants to feel comforted in death without actually having to believe anything about what happens when you die. And so they are like the warmth, they like the, the words without any meaning behind it. I'll give you another example, not from TV land, from real land. Um, a pastor, a friend of mine, was asked to do a funeral uh, by someone he knew. And he said, look, I want you to come to this funeral for, um, you know, a family member that died. But, but if you do it, you have to promise me that you are going to be very clear about the gospel. He said, there's going to be people uh, coming that they, they don't know Jesus. They don't have any hope after they die. Now is the time. You, ha- you have to really be clear about it. And my friend said, yeah, okay, I will. And so he, he came and he preached a message. And in the message, he challenged those who did not have faith. He said, look, if if you don't have faith, that's fine, but you need to be able to come and comfort this family in a way that is consistent with what you believe. You can't just come and and give them empty words that you don't really believe. You have to be able to reconcile those two. His point was that there is only really one comfort in death, and that is Jesus. So the next day he got an email from someone who was at the funeral, and they were not happy. They were very angry. He said, how could you... How dare you do that? We were mourning. You were you're, you're supposed to comfort us. And my friend's response was, I was comforting you. I was giving you the only comfort that you really need and that you can actually grab onto in this time of death. But this person writing the email, they didn't want that. They just wanted the feeling of comfort. They, they wanted warm sounding platitudes like he's in a better place and you'll see him again. Which sound great. But they make no sense. If there is no God, and all we are is organic bundles of matter that somehow attained consciousness millions of years ago, then none of that makes any sense. There's, There's no hope from a secular worldview for this life, and that is nowhere more apparent than in death. But the Bible, by contrast, the Bible goes far beyond mere feelings of comfort in death. It gives us real reason for comfort in death. In fact, you could say that the whole point of the Bible, the whole story is all about lifting the tyranny of death off of human beings, off of our shoulders and placing them on Jesus and saying, you do have hope in life and in death. And the Bible gives some of its most intense warnings to those people who are trying to find comfort without Jesus. So again, big picture, big picture, Jesus is coming back. Death will be no more. But in the meantime, probably all of us here are going to die before that happens. So, so what does happen when we die? That's our question. In fact, we're going to have three questions that guide our time today. The first question is the one I already told you. What happens when we die before the end? And there are two parts to this answer, biblically speaking. Number one, the souls of believers go immediately into God's presence. Immediately into God's presence. Uh, There's a lot of talk about this in the Bible, but these uh, two verses I want to highlight uh, give some details that are helpful. So here's James 2.26. It says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So you see there what happens at the moment of death when we stop breathing, our body and our soul are separated. The body, we know. we, We deal with the body. The body we cremate, the body we bury, the body decomposes, but the soul, the spirit lives on. Where does it go? 2 Corinthians 5.8. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So there we have it. When we are away from the body, those who are, have faith, we are home with Jesus. And home uh, is heaven. Very clearly. I mean, Jesus, it says in the Bible, came down from heaven. Uh, when he ascended, he went back up to heaven. Uh, Heaven is where Jesus dwells. And so when we are away from the body, we are immediately in the presence of Jesus in heaven. But we should take note that this is not the full version of heaven. I say that because at that point, we will have no physical bodies. And it's pretty clear in scripture that the kingdom of heaven is a physical place. There's lots of, you know, talk about eating and drinking and feasting and and singing. Jesus himself of course, was resurrected. He had a physical body. He ate with his disciples. They, they touched his body. That's what we have to look forward to. But that doesn't happen right away. That happens at the return of Jesus. We're going to talk about that, about the resurrection, what that looks like. What we need to note, though, is for the moment, we are souls without bodies. The bodies are in the ground. We can exhume bodies. They're still there. But our souls are at home with, with Jesus. For this reason, um, this time period waiting for the return of Jesus is sometimes called the intermediary state or the in-between state where our souls are are waiting for for that final day of judgment. Now, some people have said that uh, during this time, our souls are asleep. They call it soul sleep or we're unconscious. And the idea is that, that yes, our souls are separated from our body, but then we're kind of just comatose. And then when Jesus returns, we wake up and, and all is well. Uh, they get this from some parts in the Bible where uh, people in the Bible talk about uh, sleep and death as kind of being synonymous. So when Jesus' friend Lazarus dies, he says to his disciples, we have to go and help Lazarus. He's asleep. And they say, well, if he's asleep, he'll just wake up. It'll be fine. Jesus says, no, no, I'm, I mean, he's dead. We really have to go help him. And so there's this idea sometimes we see this, where people say, well, that's what it means to, to die. But that's not what Jesus is saying. It's a metaphor. He's, he's describing death from our point of view. It seems like people are asleep. It's not actually the same thing. And in fact, uh, for the few examples we get of those souls in the intermediary state, they, they are awake. Uh, here's one of them. This is uh, fascinating if you haven't noticed this. Here's Revelation chapter six, verses nine to 11. Um, this is a snapshot of those who have died for their faith and they're waiting for the end. Here's what it says. Uh, when he opened the fifth seal I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So you see there are these souls, there's still people on the earth, so it's not the end yet. And they are clearly awake, right? They're crying out for justice. They're they're, they're talking. They're not unconscious. So soul sleep is not a biblical idea. Uh, The other thing that's helpful here in this passage is we should note that the souls there who are waiting, they are told to rest a little longer. So even though uh, they they are not experiencing the fullness of heaven, uh, you see that the essential elements of, of heaven are there. They are resting, they're experiencing relief from all the pains and sorrows of this world. They're with Jesus. This is why uh, Paul says in Philippians 1.23, my desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. He's saying, this is gonna be great. This is better than what we got going on here on earth. So immediately we go to a must, much better place. There is true comfort in death because we leave all of the, the sorrows and pains of this world and we go to be with Jesus. So so if you're wondering in your mind about all those who are Christians who have died from the past all the way back to the Old Testament, where are they? They are in heaven with Jesus. Millions, billions of them waiting for the final day when they will be resurrected. They will be rejoined with with their bodies. That is the first part of the answer. For those who believe, immediately into the presence of God. For those that do not believe, The answer is this. The souls of unbelievers go immediately into eternal punishment. See, whenever Jesus speaks about the death of those still in their sin, he speaks about eternal suffering and hell. He actually speaks about it a lot. Here's one example. Matthew 18, 8 and 9. He says, And if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off. Throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet and to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life without one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into the hell of fire. Now, we're going to talk more about the subject of hell. It's an important topic. We need to be clear on the details uh, on another Sunday. But for now, I just want you to see the link. The link that exists between those who die in their sin and hell. That's a a clear link, a causal link that we see in Scripture. And we also see that this happens immediately. We know this because of this... uh, there's this passage about the final judgment uh, that comes from Revelation chapter 20. And what you're going to see here is that this is the day of final judgment, but when it comes to Hades or hell, there are already souls in hell waiting for the day of final judgment. Here's Revelation 20, 13 to 15. It says, on that day, right, the final day, death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So everyone in sin is condemned to hell when they die. Um, But after the coming of Jesus and the final judgment, that experience of hell will change, just like it did with heaven. With heaven, we said that there was was an experience of heaven, but not a full experience because the, the physical dimension was not there. It's the same thing with hell. There is the experience of eternal torment and punishment, but it's not full yet. The full experience comes at the second coming because there too, those who do not believe are resurrected and then they experience the physical dimension of that suffering. We know this because of what it says in Matthew ten twenty-eight. It says, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That lake of fire, the second death, um, that is a symbol, that is a metaphor for the experience of those who do not believe, who are having to pay for their sins for all of eternity. So, this is the big picture that we're given. The first death, the death that we see here and now when people stop breathing and they die, this opens the door to both heaven and hell. But for a time, we are separated from our bodies. When Jesus returns, Everyone will be rejoined with their bodies and then judged. Those who are in Christ will then experience the fullness of heaven for all of eternity. Those who have rejected Christ and are dead in their sin, they will experience the second death and experience the fullness of God's wrath in hell. These are the very clear teachings of the Bible. That they're heavy teachings, but important for us to know. In fact, God made a point of saying this over and over again so that humanity would, would not have the mystery of death hanging over us, wondering what will happen. It's very clear what will happen. There are some follow-up questions, though, that I think are important for us uh, to know, uh, to ask. Uh, The the big question, I think, is this. Here's question number two. Are there any second chances to believe after death? Are there any second chances? This is important because uh, human beings love second chances, for one thing, and especially when it comes to second chances in life, like, like after death, That's a very popular topic. Uh, There are a number of TV shows and movies that have uh, been based on this kind of a theme. I remember when I was a kid, there was a short-lived show just called Second Chance with a very young Matthew Perry and uh, someone, there's a guy who died when he was older and then sent back to his younger self and was there to coach him and help him to walk the right path so that he'd end end up in heaven. Uh, there are shows right now. There's one called The Good Place, which I haven't watched, but I basically I think it's about the same thing. Someone is sent to the good place, and she has to kind of do some things to make sure she stays there rather than going to the, the bad place. I mean, people like these uh, shows because this kind of a theme is one that, I mean, it, it kind of connects with our heart, doesn't it? Like, like if you were not part of the church and you were just to ask anyone, probably people would say, well, it only seems fair. That God would give us a second chance. I mean, how do we know what's going to happen after death? We can't go there. I know some people have written books about it, but you can't go there and come back. So how do you know? It would make sense. It would be fair if God would die, and then we decide, oh, there actually is a heaven. There is hell. Now we will know. We have all the information we need. Isn't that how it should work? But in fact, in the Bible, we find just the opposite. Hebrews 9.27 says it this way. It is appointed... For man to die once, and after that comes judgment. It's very clear that after the point of death, there is only judgment. There is no more opportunity for mercy. In fact, Scripture always connects the final judgment, like how we are judged, with our life, with how we lived, with what we believed when we were alive. Uh, we see this in 2 Corinthians 5:10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. It doesn't say for what you believed after you died. It says while you were in your body, body and soul together, that, that will determine how you were judged. The other thing we should, we need to say is, is look, it is possible. It is possible to know what's gonna happen when we die. I mean, we're we're seeing that right now. God has revealed it to us. In fact, God has been more than fair about giving us all of the information and insight that we need. For thousands of years, this has been God's message to the the people of the world. At the beginning, he started by just speaking to us, just communicating to us, "You, you need to repent, turn away from your sin. Then he sent prophets, all through the Old Testament, prophet after prophet saying, look, repent, turn, judgment is coming. Receive the mercy of God. And then when Jesus came, he spoke the very same thing. That was his first message. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Believe in me. Get forgiveness of sins. That is what you should be focused on. And ever since he left, for 2,000 years, faithful Christians have gone out into the world with that very same message. Repent. Believe. You, you, You need comfort. We all need comfort in death and comfort in life. The only way to have that is to turn away from the way you're walking. There'll be a day where it's too late. But sadly, human beings have allowed themselves, we've allowed ourselves to be blinded to the urgency of this call. I mean, that's why people usually don't like talking about death. We don't really want to think about what's happening in the end. We'd we'd rather just live our life here and now. We'd rather be comforted by the wrong things. See, this is why a hymn at a funeral is not really comforting if there's no gospel message attached to it. It, it, It's condemning. It's not helpful. It's cruel to give people the idea that all is well with their soul if all is not well. In fact, the truth is that apart from Christ, everyone's souls are in great peril, great danger. The only real loving thing to do would be to tell people, look, here's the truth. Here's who you are. Here's how God made you to be. Here's what's coming. Now is the time to repent and receive mercy. In fact, that's our our answer. Question was, are there any second chances to believe after we die? The answer is no. No. No, the time to repent and believe is now. Now is the time. Before death. Now is the time to express faith. Now is the time to call out on God to, to have mercy on your soul. There's one other there's one other teaching, though, that we need to address on the topic of second chances, and that is the teaching of purgatory. Because purgatory has just confused a lot of people. Now, purgatory is a little different. Uh, it's, a, it's a teaching of the Catholic Church. It doesn't say that just everyone has a second chance, but it does talk about uh, more purification that needs to happen after we die. So here uh, is, a, is a quote from uh, the Catholic Catechism just to see how they would teach this idea of purgatory, how they would answer the question, what happens after you die? It goes this way. They teach all who die in God's grace and friendship, but still imperfectly purified are indeed assured of their eternal salvation, but after death they undergo purification, so as to receive the holiness necessary to enter heaven. The church gives the name purgatory to this final purification of the elect, the church also commends almsgiving, indulgences, and works of penance on behalf of the dead. So there's a couple of big problems with this teaching. Uh, first and foremost, you don't find it anywhere in the Bible. It's, it's just not there. Uh, in fact, the Catholic Church has to look to uh, an apocryphal book called Second Maccabees to find any evidence for this, and the apocryphal books are not part of the Bible. They're not inspired scripture. In fact, the Catholic Church itself didn't accept 2 uh, Maccabees until the year 1545. So 1,500 years after the time of Jesus. Then they decided that it was uh, a legit book, and that was really only because of the Reformation that were pushing against their, their false view of salvation. So it's not in the Bible. Secondly, uh, purgatory is basically an extension of penance. You see it in there. And penance is, is where we pay for our sins, where we need to do certain things, give a certain amounts, so that we will be righteous and pure and holy in the eyes of God, which is completely contrary to the gospel. And not helpful. It's not actually comforting. In fact, it's burdensome. The gospel of Jesus says this. Here's 2 Corinthians 5:21. For our sake, he made him to be sin, that's Jesus, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In, in Jesus, he is our righteousness. He is our holiness. That's the great thing about the gospel there is no burden on our shoulders. Through faith, we are made pure and righteous. We don't need any further purification after death because in God's eyes, we are already pure by the grace of God. So praying for the dead, doing good works for the dead, giving money for the dead does nothing except fill church bank accounts. Penance gives us false hope in life Purgatory gives us false hope in death, but the gospel, the gospel gives us real hope in both life and death because the only true comfort is Jesus. And that's why again and again throughout the New Testament, it comes back to Jesus. Hope in him, trust in him, accept him. In the final book of Revelation, uh, this is what Jesus says. He, he gives this picture of himself. Here's Revelation 3.20. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. See, his invitation is, is don't wait. I'm here now. I'm knocking. I'm waiting. You open the door of your heart. By that, it, it means you pray. You admit, Jesus, I need you. I need you. I see that I'm a sinner. I see the judgment that's coming and I see that you've already paid the debt for my sin. Jesus, will you please save me of my sin? That's a prayer of faith. A prayer that, that is spoken by someone who's, whose heart is already made alive in the Spirit. And that is what each of us needs. That is our hope. If you're wondering, if you're a guest, if you're tuning in wondering what every faithful church, what this church is about, is, is, is the hope that people will hear that and will say yes to Jesus. So that's the answer to the what. What happens when we die? What hope can we have in death before the end fin- finally comes? What, what are the details that we need to know for it not to be a mystery, for it to be crystal clear? But there is another, I think, almost equally important question. Something that I don't know that Christians always ask because we just, it's just kind of the way things are. So here's our third question. And the third question is this. Given everything that we've, we've heard, why do Christians still die? ever thought about that? I mean, for unbelievers, it's fairly obvious. According to the Bible, if you are in sin, then the the wages of sin is death. And so you should expect to die. But for believers, believers, our death has been paid, right? It's been taken away. Jesus died in our place. We are united with Christ in his death and his resurrection. In fact, over and over again, it says we now have life in Christ. So why do we why do we die at all? Well, it can't be because we're being punished. Sometimes people have this impression, even as Christians, that that the things, the wrong things that happen in our life are punishments from God. Can't be that. Romans 8:1 says there is that therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In fact, God cannot punish those whose sins have already been paid for. It would be unjust, it'd be wrong. So, as a Christian, if you ever have the thought enter your mind, I think God is punishing me because I did this or this or that, it, that's unbiblical. It's not true. God's, all of God's wrath and punishment towards our sin has been poured out on Jesus. So, why do we die then? Because that seems kind of punitive, doesn't it? it seems like a bad thing that is happening to us. And that is happening because sin entered the world. So, why? Why is it still part of our existence if, in fact, the sting of death has been removed? So, two answers for Christians. Number one, we die because death is part of living in the valley. Remember, last week we talked about the the plot diagram of human existence, and there were two peaks. The first is the first coming of Jesus. He came, he lived for us, he died for us, he was re- resurrected, he ascended back up into heaven, and then we're waiting for the second peak when he will return and make all things new. In between is the valley. And in the valley, we talked about the fact that we are not fully experiencing everything that is ours in the kingdom. Everything that, that is ours as children of God, we aren't fully experiencing these things. And one of, one of those things we're not fully experiencing is the life that we have in Christ. So even though Jesus already defeated death, even though we are united to him in his death and his resurrection, that's baptism, right? We've, been, we've died to sin, we're alive in him. Even though all that is true, the first death is still part of our reality. Here's how the Bible explains it. Uh, Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 15. I know there's lots of verses today. It's just, just the way it is. You can look back in the tape if you missed them. 1 Corinthians 15, and 23 says, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. If you are in Christ as a Christian, that's you. You're alive. But, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits; Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So you see there, it's affirming. If you're in Christ, you're alive. But, It's going to come in a sequence. Jesus is the first fruits. He's the first to be resurrected. His disciples saw that. They touched his body. He was fully alive. For us, we're not fully there yet. When will it come? It will come at the coming of Christ. At his coming, those who belong to Christ will experience the fullness of being alive. The last enemy to be be destroyed is death. So when Jesus returns, death will be no more. But we're not there yet. We're we're in the valley. We're waiting. So part of the glory of Christ's return, the things that we can anticipate is there will be a day when there will be no more death. But we're not there yet. We're waiting and we're called to wait faithfully. That's the first thing. Death is part of living in the valley. The second thing is I think probably the most important for us. And that is this. We die because death is the final test of faith. The final test of faith. See, for those who are uh, in Christ... God has some very specific goals for us. And they're not, they're not secret goals. He, he wants for us to grow in faith and maturity. He wants to make us more and more like Jesus. He, he wants the very best for us, not just a life of comfort or peace or prosperity here and now. He wants for us to grow so close to Jesus that we cling to him and we're able to let go of all the things that are gonna pass away. That's what it means to be sanctified. And one of the, the best tools that God has to grow us in this way, to shape us in this way, are trials in life. James 1, 2-4 famously says this, "'Count it all joy, my brothers, "'when you meet trials of various kinds, "'for you know that the testing of your faith "'produces steadfastness, "'and let steadfastness have its full effect, "'that you may be perfect and complete, "'lacking in nothing.'" Man, wouldn't you love to be that? (laughs) Wouldn't you love to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing? My wife would love it if I were perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. But that not, hasn't happened yet. But it is happening. God is working in me and the main way that he's doing that is through trials, through difficulties, through disappointments, through all of those things. The, the question is constantly being put to my heart is what do I trust in? Who do I believe in? And death is the most effective test that God has for our faith. Because when death comes for us, it seems like everything that we have is being taken away. In a sense, it is, right? All of our material possessions, all of our relationships, all of the things that we enjoy in life, all of those things are being taken away in death. All of it gone, usually at an unexpected time and an unexpected way. And because it's unexpected because it's not the way that we want it to happen, because it happens at all, it reveals what we really hope in. I mean, we may say, we may think that we really trust in God, but in those moments before death, in in the diagnosis from the doctor, in in the injury that we receive, in all of the, the pain and discomfort and all of that, what do we really hope in? Do we find ourselves distraught, hopeless, bitter, angry? Or are we able to see death the way the writers of scriptures see it? Something not to fear, not to dread, but an opportunity to glorify God and to demonstrate our faith. See, it's fascinating the New Testament, which speaks so much about the life we have in Christ. It also speaks about the importance of dying well, of meeting death with faith and courage. Look at Philippians 1.20. Paul says this, it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul's saying, I, I, have, I have a clear focus for my existence. It's the honoring of Jesus. And whether I live or whether I die, that is of no consequence. I, and whatever happens, I know where my, my hope is. I know what I'm clinging to and what my goal is, that I would honor Jesus. Look also at Revelation 2.10. This is the word of Jesus to the church. He says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Now here he's speaking in particular to the church back then and saying, look, there's gonna be times where you will, you will be martyred. You'll have to die for your faith, but that's not the only application. He's speaking to all of us that will experience death. And he's saying, how are you going to die? How are you going to meet that test? Are you going to cling to Jesus himself or are you going to abandon your faith? I remember hearing the story of a friend of mine who went to visit an old uh, woman in the hospital. She's very near death. And my friend entered the room and this, this woman was just so frail, just kind of sinking into the hospital bed And as she came close, she opened her Bible and and the woman opened her eyes and her eyes were just filled with, with light almost, life. And she said to her, are you here to speak to me about my Jesus? I can't wait to see him. I'm gonna see him really soon. She was full of hope, full of faith, dying faithfully, trusting in Jesus in the midst of whatever had gone on up to that point. This is the call. This is is the response that happens when we truly understand the hope that we have in Christ. But before we end, I want to address kind of the the other side of the coin. Because there are those for whom their greatest fear is is not death. In fact, in a sense, their greatest fear is continuing to live with all of the turmoil and pain that exists in their life. There are many people who don't fear death, they, they welcome it. Maybe some of us here have, have felt that struggle, that, that pull. And by that, I'm talking about suicidal thoughts, thoughts of self-harm, self-harm. See, there are many times in our lives when it seems like just living, that is the test. Because of the pain, because of the trial, whether it be trauma that we've gone through, whether it be emotional t- turmoil, whether it be just the, the thought, the weight of getting up each day and making it through the day, and perhaps because of this teaching that we find in the Bible, it seems like the answer to all of this is death. Because in death, there's relief. In death, there's, there's rest. It seems like the, the lie that we begin to believe is that then death is the answer. But again, we need to turn to the pages of scripture and see what God actually teaches about these things. The gospel indeed gives us great comfort in death, but death itself is never the comfort that's pointed to. Jesus is the comfort that's pointed to. And if our desire is is to be with Jesus, hear me, we can be with him now. He is with us now. He has told us, when he went back up into into heaven, he said, look, I will be with you until the end of this age. I'm sending you my spirit to dwell within you, to comfort you, to guide you into all truth. The reality is, Is that we are not far from Christ. Yes, we will see Him face to face. Yes, that will be a blessed thing, but we are to be obedient to Him. I know it's much easier said than done. I know that for many, just waking up, just making it through the day is a feat unto itself, but the promise of God is that He will be with us. And the purpose of the church is to support each other in these trials. And I want to point you to something that Paul says in that same passage in Philippians where he's talking about how good it will be to be with Jesus. Look at what else he says. Here's verse 24. He says, It would be great to go and be with Jesus, but to remain in the flesh, to stay alive, is more necessary on your account. He's talking to the Philippian church. He says, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. See what he's saying there? It's more necessary because there's work for him to do. God has good purposes in his life. He will be there for the Philippian church. He'll help them to grow in faith. God is gonna use Paul in the midst of his sufferings. And he will do the same with us. Let me just say, if you are someone who struggles with these kinds of thoughts, I'd invite you, please contact us at the church. There are people we know have gone through that. We'd be happy to help with you. We want to walk through this with you. But we also want to point everyone to a biblical view of both life and death so that we can say with Paul what he said in in verse 20. I'm gonna read it again. He said, it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether it be by life or by death. You see what he's saying there? His focus has totally changed. It's not on life itself, hoping in that. It's not on death itself. He's saying whatever happens, whatever happens, my intent is to honor Christ. So if God calls me to die for him, I will do that gladly with courage. If God calls me to live with with chronic pain, with trial, with adversity, I will do that as well because I'm convinced that the greater hope and greater joy of my life will be to cling to Jesus. See, all of this, all of this is based on the understanding that God is sovereign. God is sovereign over the time, over our birth, and over our death, and he knows what's best. He will glorify himself in us. So the final point is this. Jesus has said he's coming soon. He is. On that day, death will be no more. He will make all things new. It will be a glorious and momentous event. In the meantime, we are gonna die. And We have an opportunity in both our life and our death to glorify Him. So I want to end. I want to end by reading uh, the other verses from that hymn, the verses that I think they should have included in uh, in the Anne of Green Gables. So here's here they are. We're going to read them and then we're going to sing them. So a couple of the verses they go this way: Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, O oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh, my soul. My hope for each one of you is that it will be well with your soul, that there will be great comfort and assurance in the midst of this life And as you contemplate death, let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we are thankful for all that you've done. Thankful, Jesus, that that death and life is no longer a mystery, no longer a reason to fear, but even, Lord Jesus, a reason to rejoice that we will be with you. I pray, Lord Jesus, for everyone here, everyone tuning in, Lord, that we, we could say that it is well with our soul, that we have the comfort of the gospel, that we don't have to pay for our sins, we don't have to, to do more good, give more. Jesus, you've done all that for us. And so I pray that whatever you're calling us to, whether it may be a time of suffering right now, and I know there are those in the church that this is indeed a time of intense suffering, physical pain and illness is destroying the body, I pray, please, Lord, that you would bring your spirit, you would comfort them, give them encouragement, help them to know that there is good that is coming on the other side of death by your grace. And Lord, for those that are struggling with life, God, please comfort them as well. Help them to know that it is not death that is the answer. Jesus, you are the answer. And what a great answer you are. I pray this in your name. Amen.